0: From St. Louis Public Radio, this is St. Louis on the Air. And we would ask the bands if we could play on their breaks, yeah. <laughs> and, and they never said
1: yes. It's <laughs> shocking. But we would tell anybody, we're a band, we're a band. And yeah, I mean, I, you know, I always thought we were great like-minded young people you know we were funny we were cute we dressed great and we played okay you know (laughs) our songs were you know
2: I'm Sarah Fenske Let's go back to 1975. Gerald Ford was president. Captain and Tennille topped the Billboard charts. And a group of girls in Fluorescent formed a punk band that was way ahead of its time. They weren't even out of high school yet, but their music slapped. was called The Welders and they had a great run in the 70s. They even recorded an album in 1979. But then their business manager ran into financial trouble. The album was scrapped. The Welders broke up. This month, though, that album will finally be released by local BDR Records. Owner Jason Ross, also known as Jason Rerun, said that when he first heard The Welders' long-lost tracks, he was immediately blown away.
3: It was Lightning in a Bottle, they, they formed in 1975 and were already playing essentially, you know, what would become punk rock a couple of years later. Their first show was in 1976, so that was, you know, the, the first punk rock concert in St. Louis didn't happen until early 77. So th- they were definitely ahead of their time.
2: And that is Jason Rerun. Now, the Welders album comes out this month. That is 42 years after they recorded it. And joining us now are three of the band's founding members. Kelly Draper was the Welders guitarist, and she's known to its members as Rusty. Today, she's a librarian and lives in St. Louis. Rusty, welcome. Thank you for having us. And we're also joined today by Jane Fujimoto. She was the Welders drummer and then keyboardist. Today, she's a digital creator for Mattel and lives in L.A., but she's also here with us today. So, Jane, welcome. Hey, I'm thrilled to be here. And we're also joined today by Jane's younger sister, Caroline Fujimoto. She was the welder's bassist, and she is an executive assistant who lives in St. Louis. Caroline, welcome. Thank you very much. So, Caroline, you were just 13 when the welders formed, but in some ways, you're the one who brought this group together. How so? Well, um, I have known
4: Rusty since I was 10 years old, and then by the time we got to junior high, um, the various members were in my different classes so we all got together as friends um stephanie was i didn't have any friends (laughs) so exactly so that's why um when I met Stephanie, I knew she and my sister would get along, so I would end up, like, passing notes um, between um, classes for them. And um, we just all just got along really well together. And so,
2: Rusty, you guys were friends first and then became a band. Who, who yeah. had the idea to, to, put on a, to put together a band?
0: It was sort of mutual, but I know Jane always wanted to have a band.
1: Yeah, and then, you know, Rusty was the, um, was the same way. We both really were into rock and roll. And what bands were you into? Um, my favorite band at the time was uh, probably Mott the Hoople, and we really liked the New York Dolls and T-Rex, Slade, bands like that.
2: And I imagine that this was somewhat unusual for other people in Florissant at that time.
1: Oh, yeah. Everyone was into Three Dog Night.
2: Okay. <laughs> wait, wait, I liked Hudson Brothers, uh, Razzle Dazzle Hour, so yeah, I was a little bit behind the rest. But so did you guys kind of feel like outsiders liking this music that you liked that was just a bit ahead of where most people in St. Louis were at? Yeah, we were definitely outsiders. Out, out outsiders. Yeah. And so is that part of the idea of wanting to form a band? That, hey, like, we like this music, we're the only ones around who like this music.
0: I don't know if that was necessarily the impetus. It was more that we just really, really liked rock and roll. We liked poring over the magazines, seeing the bands. And you know at first we thought maybe we would write a magazine, and then we decided why write it? Why not just do it? And so that from there we you know started forming a band and playing on random acoustic instruments or drumming on books. <laughs> <Yes>. and,
2: <laughs> and did you have um, you know experience with music? Had you guys had music lessons? not at all no, no we just, we came up with the idea first and then we
1: sort of picked our instruments i always wanted to play drums and then we you know it was the band was basically based on friendship first
2: friendship first and then you had to teach yourself
1: these instruments yes well we had to buy instruments we had to get a job to buy instruments <laughs> But you did. You yeah, went and we got t- the job. <laughs> you bought the instruments. Yes. I mean, most of us worked at a Chinese restaurant called the Dragon Inn. In Bridgeton,
4: yes. In Bridgeton. Yeah. 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 Four out of s- uh, seven of us all worked at that same restaurant.
2: And you were just raising money so that you could get these instruments. Did you have any sense of whether or not you'd be any good? No. no. I, they didn't, we didn't care about that. <laughs> That was immaterial. That's why, that's why punk rock was perfect for us. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So, Jane, part of what is so great about this story is all of you kept diaries during this time. That's Jane, right. you still have your diaries. Uh, you have a diary entry from December 15, 1975 that reads, Blew up at mom for getting Caroline a John Denver guitar songbook. I mean, John Denver? I went in my room and cried. Did your mom not <laughs> fully understand what you were aiming for with this band? I, I don't think she, un- no,
1: not at all. But uh, Caroline did play John Denver at a school concert, didn't you? So it did come in handy.
4: Exactly. There, there you go. I think that's why she probably bought it. I accompanied like a junior high um, choir. With... So this
2: wasn't as big of an insult, Caroline, no. as, as maybe it sounds.
4: No, no.
1: So yeah, but we did return it for a Rolling Stone songbook, though. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and so you get these instruments, you put together this band. Uh, Rusty, how did you even know what punk was, and, and sort of how to go about like coming up with the aesthetic you wanted?
0: I think, well, we, you know, we were doing it before we knew it had a name, I guess. We we were, you know, the whole DIY thing, teach yourself the instruments and, um, you know, get together and just try and like learn songs, which now, you know, you can look up on the internet and find guitar tabs and things. It makes it so much easier. Um, but. Yeah, I mean, I learned
1: to play drums by watching drummers on TV, mm-hmm. like the Midnight Special, basically, where you put your hands and your feet and all that stuff. And, yes. and
2: Caroline, how
1: did you learn um, how to be the bassist? It's because nobody else wanted
4: to play the bass. <laughs> That's how I became the bassist. Um, it's, it's because it's the last four strings of the guitar, and um, mom and dad had gotten us an acoustic guitar, so I ended up playing bass, just basically playing the last, bottom, the bottom four strings of a regular acoustic guitar. Mm-hmm. And,. Um, and I and I think I had like a music class in fifth grade, and that was like the year it dawned on me what those little black dots on a on a musical staff meant. And it was like a lightning bolt going, Oh my God, that translates to actual notes on a guitar and things like that. So you had a really good elementary school music teacher. Yes, she
0: yeah. taught you how to read music. Yes. I mean, most kids when I spoke to later those on. Mrs. Hutcherson.
2: Mrs. Mm -hmm. Hutcherson. So she kind (laughs) of helped you get started. Something that's curious to me about all this is at the time there were very few all-women bands doing Mm -hmm. rock, this kind of rock. Oh, certainly. Did that Mm -hmm. ever give you pause? Like, we can't do this, we're girls? Or did that Mm -hmm. never even occur to you?
4: Never occurred to me. Never. 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 Yeah,
2: not
1: at all. I mean, we basically we did know that we were doing something special and something out of the ordinary, but, you know, that didn't deter us at all, no.
2: So I want to play one of your songs. This is P E R V E R T. <laughs> That is by The Welders. I have three of the founding members of The Welders here in studio with me today. Um, this song, P-E-V-E-R-T. Rusty, who wrote the songs?
0: Um, well, that one uh, Stephanie and I wrote, and it was the very first song we wrote for The Welders. And so this idea, this, this theme of, of pervert,
2: uh, what <laughs> got you onto that?
0: Well, partly life experience. No (laughs) kidding. In the 70s, anywhere you went, uh, you know, you're kind of subject to catcalls or worse. Um, And then various inspirations also. I think probably like Monty Python, they were always talking about perverts and things like that. So that's where the word for what (laughs) you were experiencing came Uh, from. And uh, the chorus, I think that came from like Connie Francis' song, Vacation, where she spells out the... uh, (laughs) <laughs> the uh,
2: title of the song so kind of, I didn't know that yeah <laughs> and so you guys are writing these songs i mean this song sounds like something that could play on the radio today as you're playing this um caroline did you have a sense like yeah this song is working uh no
1: <laughs> <laughs> not it did not work <laughs> <laughs>
2: how could you say that i mean the song
4: sounds you know, great it, it's 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 one Thing to look at it like decades later but you know when you're kids you're just going through it and 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 just going through um just practicing and trying to start and stop at the same time and it's just you just don't think about those kind of things or um you know i think jane thought we were like all like like really special I we great
2: yeah jane i have it I like, actually, I'm, I'm going to read an excerpt from Jane's diary. How nice to have access to your diary as we're having this interview today. Jane wrote this in September of 1976, quote, In a monumental eight-hour rehearsal, we figure out Kimberly by Patti Smith. <laughs> For the first time, I got the feeling of being in a band, all caps, exclamation point. And then just one week later, Jane, you wrote, God divided the world into three parts, the welders, people we associate with, and everyone else.
1: <laughs> it's amazing. <laughs> yeah. We, we thought, I, well, I thought very highly of ourselves. I, I thought we were doing something really great, you know. I feel like you were right.
2: <laughs> and, the rest, the and rest also, of us
0: were riddled with doubt. <laughs> and Caroline had a lot
2: of feelings of ambivalence <laughs> being in a band. <laughs> and so, Rusty, I mean, there was some ambivalence there. How did you go to the point of from working on these songs to saying, okay, let's do a show? We uh, always went to... Uh,
0: Dances and well, we couldn't get into bars, so it was usually dances. Went uh, to the Admiral or the Admiral, and we would ask the bands if we could play on their breaks, (laughs) (laughs) and and they never said yes. (laughs) Shocking, but but we would tell anybody, We're a band, we're a band, and uh, including going to record stores, which was a big hangout because that's where the records were and that's where the music magazines were. And you know, we'd badger the radio store employees. And so, uh, one day, in telling one of those employees, Oh, we're in a band, but we can't find anywhere to play, he said that, his name was Norman Schoenfeld, he told us that, oh, uh, he had a friend, Jim Maresca who had a band called Candy, and we, we, he, we could probably open for
2: them, and so they arranged for us to play. So, Jane, you always knew that this band had something. You had a lot of other members who were kind of <laughs> skeptical or nervous. Was it hard to get everybody on board for, we're doing this gig? Um,
1: actually, I, I think there was a lot of uh, stage fright involved, and... Um, <laughs> But at the same time, you know, we lived for this stuff. We wow. were, you know, really into rock and roll and, you know, it was like what are we gonna wear? And you know, what instruments are we gonna play? I think we borrowed instruments for that show or yes. we played yes. their instruments. Yes. Um, So, uh, no, I I think everybody was really enthusiastic about it.
2: So you mentioned, what are we going to wear? You guys looked amazing. We have a photo of the 70s-era welders. You can (laughs) see that on our Twitter and also our St. Louis on the Air Instagram. Both are at STL on Air if you want to check this out. How did you figure out what to wear? Uh, Mostly from uh, uh, magazines,
1: rock magazines, you know, and the. the rock magazines like Cream and Circus—they were really a uh, lifeline to what was going on in the world, and we felt amongst them, you know.
2: <laughs> and so, Caroline, this first performance—how mm-hmm. did this go? Um, it went as well as
4: it possibly could, I think, <laughs> com- um, considering that um, it was—we uh, were—I uh, was 14 years old, and we were just. Um, Oh, really nervous, and a um, couple of members, um, oh, David Surkamp from Pavlov's Dog, which was like, you know, pretty big rock star, had, yeah. had shown up, and some friends of ours from the Moldy Dogs were there. We had a lot of um, some friends there to support us, but it was... Um, it was really exciting i just remember at one point um my guitar strap fell off so i ended up like holding up my bass up in the air and and it was just really it was just really punk rock and really really a lot of fun
1: yeah one of our other guitars was playing a different song from the rest of us well i wasn't going (laughs) to mention that
2: Glad yeah, you mentioned that. That's that's very punk rock. It wasn't rusty. <laughs> it was so nice Thank you. And did you guys just kind of roll with it, or did you all stop like wrong track? No, uh, no,
1: we, w- we, no. We, yeah, we we went with it. Yeah, we powered through it, it. exactly.
2: <laughs> so you had this first gig, and and it went surprisingly well. Um, rusty, did things just kind of take off from there?
0: Well, uh, Jim and Norman began managing us, and so they also had various bands they played in, and they kind of formed punk bands. For a uh, punk rock festival, the first punk rock festival in January of 1977. And so we opened that show. And I guess there were three other bands, was it? Yes. Yeah, the Moldy Dogs, um,
2: Cigarette Butts.
0: Cigarette Butts, <laughs> and uh, Band. I yeah. can't remember what their name was.
2: So <laughs> earlier we mentioned some of the sexism that was just endemic in the 70s. Did you run into that as you're playing these shows? Constantly. Yeah. Constantly. From the other bands, from audience members? Um, all of the above. All
4: of the above, yeah. I would say so. I mean, I think, I mean, come on, we're teenage girls. Everybody just pretty much thought we were a novelty act, or it's like... um I remember. I think it was advertising for the first punk rock festival. I think um, somebody got it to like the Channel Five News. It was like Dick Ford and John Elbow. Which, they were like talking about it on the news, and, and they said, "Oh yeah, there's like a uh, all girl punk band that's going to be playing." And they were like chuckling amongst them the, so, themselves. And I thought, "Oh wow, yeah, that's really exciting." But they're kind of like making us out to be like a like a little circus act kind of a thing. So, yeah. but but that's just that was just something that we faced all the time. Which you know.
2: It doesn't sound like you let it stop you in any way.
0: Not at all. I mean, that's that's the more benign uh, things that happen. I mean, you had people shouting things at you, uh, take your clothes off, get off the stage. Um,
2: Did you ever shout back? Oh, yeah. All the time.
0: (laughs) And we included some of that in the albums. In between some of the tracks, you have uh, our lead singers interacting with the audience.
2: And Rusty, I understand you would sometimes yell at the audience if they weren't being sufficiently just into it, not just if they were being pervs, but if they were just (laughs) sitting there. What would you yell? Oh, sometimes we'd say things like,
0: is this an audience or an oil painting?
2: (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it sounds like you guys were just having a blast.
4: Somebody had to. (laughs) We had to enjoy ourselves because the audience wasn't enjoying it. Yeah, it was
2: that we (laughs) suffered for our art, now it's It's your your turn.
1: turn.
2: (laughs) We're talking today to three of the founding members of The Welders. This is a band that came out of Florissant in uh, 1975. They were formed. They had a remarkable run, played a lot of shows, and this is all before they graduated from high school. We're talking to Jane Fujimoto, who was the drummer and then keyboardist, her sister Caroline, who was the bassist, and Kelly Draper, uh, better known as Rusty, who was the guitarist. We do want to let you know you can now... Now, get a hold of this album, the remastered version of what was recorded in 1975. Use the pre order link at rerunrecordsstl.com. We need to take a quick break, but we'll be back shortly to continue this conversation. This is St. Louis on the air on St. Louis Public Radio. back. We're talking today to three founding members of the Welders. That's the 70s era all-girls punk band that blossomed in fluorescent, only to never see their album released in its day. Uh, Kelly Draper, who's better known as Rusty, was the Welders guitarist and still lives in St. Louis. And she's joined in studio today by the sisters who co-founded the group with her. Jane Fujimoto was the Welders drummer and then keyboardist and today lives in L.A. And her little sister Caroline Fujimoto was the Welders bassist and now lives in St. Louis. Now, the Welders have seen new interest in recent years. An EP of four songs was released in 2010 by BDR Records, and now BDR is issuing the entire remastered, never-before-released 1979 album as it was intended on vinyl. BDR owner Jason Rerun told our producer Emily Woodbury that the Welders weren't just ahead of the punk scene. They also recorded tracks that anticipated the garage revival of the 1980s.
3: The later stuff is a little more 60s girl group kind of garage uh, rather than trying to be punk. Um, they added an organ, and those songs are really just amazing because it was it was kind of... There was a big garage revival scene in the like early to mid-80s, and again, they were ahead of their time already doing that kind of sound before bands like the Pandoras and other bands who became famous for doing that sound, so... In a very small amount of time, they kind of progressed into a different sound a little bit, more of a kind of 60s garage sound. Um, and still, I, I'm just amazed that they were they were doing that before it was cool, I'll just say. Um, doing it organically, you know, two or three years before anybody else was.
2: And that is Jason Rerun of Local BDR Records. Now, this track, this is from the Welder's album, and it showcases the 60s garage sound that Jason describes. This is... Uh, Earth Dies Screaming from the about-to-be-released album Our Own Oddities, 1977 to 1981. And that is Earth Dies Screaming by The Welders. Jane, tell us the story of this song. Wow, I've never heard myself on the radio. That's
1: me singing, everyone. <laughs> um, this song is... Uh, i, I it, it, We had grown up a little bit, and uh, we branched out into a different sound. And I know that Jason says it's a garage sound, but we were mo- more influenced by um, post-punk bands like um, Ultravox and... Gary Newman and uh, Magazine, those kinds of bands, um, but you know more mature lyrics, not funny. Yeah, <laughs> we we had been through a lot at that point.
2: And Caroline, you mentioned here that this draws on some conversations that, that Jane wrote it, but she maybe drew from life. <laughs>
1: yeah, I, it was just
4: um, um, just some bits and pieces of um, just conversations that we had with people, is what I heard talking to also some of our friends, is what she put into the lyrics.
2: And Jane, when you say you've been through a lot, what are you alluding to there?
1: Well, just, you know, just sort of banging our head against the wall for, you know, five years or whatever, trying to, you know, you know, sort of... uh, make it as a rock band and be you know, taken nev- seriously. Yeah, right? never yeah. That, taken That, that t- song, t- we had already,
4: we, we recorded that song after we had already broken up, actually, yeah, yeah. so, mm. so yeah, I mean. Very
1: frustrating. It
4: was uh, it was our swan songs, and it, it was just something that we want to get done, because we really liked that
1: song People a lot. could not see our greatness. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah so it's, it's their fault, right? <laughs> Always. But so you guys recorded this album. This happened in 1979. I mean, did you think, okay, we're gonna have this album come Wow, this is going to be the big
1: break. Well, I mean, th- th- actually, the album is um, is was recorded over a period of time. But the 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 very first thing that we recorded in 1979, yeah, we thought we were in a 24-track studio. We thought, oh yeah, this is it. You know, we're gonna we're gonna make it. We're gonna really do this. And then what happened? Well, nothing happened
2: basically, <laughs> 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 through no fault of your own.
1: Yeah, and you know, but it's great to you know to be uh, recognized now. But, you know, it's it's just sad that we, d- we weren't recognized in, in our time. Rusty, when did you realize this album was never coming out?
0: Um, I guess it probably took about um, a year, year and a half after the actual recording. And
2: this was because of, of just financial trouble on the part of your, your business manager? Yeah, I mean,
0: I'm not, I don't know if we know for certain it was financial trouble. We just know that um, in exchange for recording time, the studio was going to be advertised in the publication that the ma- our manager was uh, put out. And um, it was supposed to be for a year. And instead, after six months, it was folded. So he never owned the master tape.
2: Oh, OK. And so then those masters were believed to be lost at that point. We
0: imagine the studio, because they were so expensive at the time, they probably recorded over them.
2: And so at that point did you guys basically give up on the Welders, Caroline? What? Oh,
4: oh yeah. I mean, I was um 19 when um the band ended. So, yeah, it was uh, we had to grow up and and uh and have a life. <laughs> Our drummer left, too, and, and it was like, oh, the monumental task of trying to
0: find yet another female musician. It was yeah. just I moved too to,
1: much. And I moved to California with another
2: band. <laughs> that too. I'll yeah. show that. It's your, yeah. it's your fault. <laughs> and so you continued to play in bands when you were out in, in California, but I understand, Rusty, for you, this was it. You never, you never played in another band.
0: No, I mean we kind of, um, some of us <laughs> were kind of burnt out from the experience, you know, from like Jane said, just you know, banging your head against the wall for so many years and not being taken seriously, and um, it just, it just wasn't very satisfying. Plus, we were getting ready to graduate college, and so we were kind of focusing on that. Yeah. And,
2: and Caroline, I, I understand you never even told people. That you'd been in this band. I feel like I would brag about this nonstop.
4: You know, none none of my co-workers, nobody knows anything about my personal life or my past life or anything like that. They don't know anything about even being in the History Museum. I just never mention it to anybody. It's like, it just doesn't come up in conversation, you know?
2: (laughs) I think i find a way to tell people, but yeah. So you guys really all moved on from this moment, and then the moment found you again. And this all seems to have started back almost like 11 years ago. What happened at that point that suddenly all was not lost?
0: jason and matt jason rerun and matt harnish contacted us they were wanting to put together a compilation of st louis punk bands reissue um, recordings or issue things that had never been uh, put out and um, and
2: they own of course bdr Records. right and they own
0: bdr records and, and, and we
4: were really wary actually yes. we were we were going what is, what is he talking about like why does he want to put that out we, <laughs> we were just we understand exactly we were just like this, totally flummoxed. Well, so it was, like, Why would he want to do that? It
0: wasn't very well received back in the day. So the fact, the idea that somebody you know, like many decades yeah, later, later he was, was he interested, interested in, us. in it. it and he like,
2: had just kind of found these, uh, the old tapes from the recording sessions. He contacted us and we had a cassette
0: tape uh, from the Taken from the board of the recording, and so studio, he was working off that, and he was working off that.
2: Wow! So you guys did say yes. This four-song EP came out as you know, mm-hmm. still not the complete album. You're not on vinyl. What was that like, Jane, to have that moment?
1: Um, I, I just loved seeing it, you know. And I, I well, I love, love vinyl anyway, but. Um, you know, it's it's like a dream come true, you know. It's just sad that it wasn't, you know, now we're old ladies. <laughs> but, uh, and, you know, we it's it's kind of sad that we didn't have the lives that we wanted to live t- t- together, you know, mm-hmm. playing in a rock band and, and touring and stuff. Oh, like yeah. That. I, I, I wanted us to be like the monkeys and,
4: people. like, live together yeah. and, and tour. And just that was our great inspiration. Oh, my gosh, gosh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
2: We're talking to three founding members of The Welders. This was a band that was formed in Florissant in 1975 when its members were still very young teens. Um, They're seeing a resurgence in interest. And in fact, um, an album version of the album that they recorded, a vinyl version of that album, is now coming out this month. Uh, You can use the pre-order link. It's at rerunrecordsstl.com. Jane, it feels like this is very bittersweet for you.
1: but you know, it's it, it's I, I'm over it, you know. But um, yeah, this no, was kind of like defining <laughs> defining years of of my life, as it turned out. You know, it's like nothing else that I did since then seemed to. Uh, top what we did as teenagers. Oh, but, you know,
4: Jane played with Courtney Love, and she actually, she played on stage with Beck,
2: you know. So. That was a fluke. Both of those were flukes. <laughs> well, <but it> was, <laughs> to I you, think. it feels like the collaboration and the excitement of this group was more than those yes, star appearances. you know, it, it,
1: it was the friendship and the meeting of minds, you know. We, we just had a it was just really great to be together in a in a group you know of like-minded young people and uh it was just a lot of fun just a great way to grow
2: up so this album that is coming out now it's not just being released locally here in st louis it's also being distributed overseas here's label owner jason rerun
3: when we released the ep we sold as many in japan as we did in the states um if not more and the appeal there is is because both Caroline and Jane are you know they're Japanese american but it's also there is a very rabid collector group in Japan that is into early punk rock and indie music so it just was Two, two Japanese-Americans and all-female band, you know, that they'd never heard of. Um, it, it, one, one store alone in Tokyo that I'm, I've am i been selling to for years. I, I think they sold maybe 85 or 100 copies uh, just in one store of the EP, which is pretty unheard of. I mean, most stores will, you know, they'll buy five copies or maybe 10 if they think it's something that's going to sell well. But J- Japan is going to be the biggest market again. <laughs> I know it is. <laughs>
2: And that is Jason Rerun of BDR Records. Carolyn, that it's kind of amazing to hear. I mean, your your music is being purchased in Japan.
4: Oh, how, I mean, my mom is really thrilled. <laughs> so,
2: yeah, how how bizarre that it, this is happening now? It just it's it's phenomenal. And I know you guys also really credit the Missouri History Museum um, show, where it looked at St. Louis history, that uh, it, it put you guys back in uh, the spotlight. Oh my gosh,
4: we are so appreciative of Andrew Wonko for including um, our obscure band in in that in that whole exhibit. I mean, how how. How wonderful um, for us to represent a, a portion of, of St. Louis music.
1: He's a very smart man. <laughs>
2: He's going places. <laughs> Rusty, do you think there's any chance the band could get back together? No. I want this. <laughs> no, no. Caroline
0: says no.
4: <laughs> i do it.
0: I feel like Jane would do this. Yeah, I, I, I know she would. <laughs> but the rest of you, you're not on board for that? I, I now I have feelings of ambivalence. <laughs> I was always the one with massive stage fright whenever we were going to perform, so I don't know. <laughs> yeah,
2: we'll see. I do find myself thinking, though. I mean, you keep some of you keep kind of like downplaying a little bit the Welders, and yet there were so many bands that came out of high schools in St. Louis in the '70s and the '80s. Caroline, what do you think it was about the Welders that still persists, still remains today?
4: I. Th- think it's just when you look at it from the perspective of many decades later then you realize you know what we were something a bit out of the ordinary but for me I know Jane thought we were you know fantastic but for me it's like oh yeah here we're a high school band and you know we're we're not even playing at like you know any kind of high school school dances or anything but I just never thought of it that way, but when you, look, like I said, in the perspective of now through history, yeah, we were something. We were something special.
0: Well, at the time, we were unique, but not in a unique in a way that was pre- perhaps
2: appreciated by those around us. Jane, um, do you feel vindicated by the fact that the band is seeing this great resurgence of interest? You knew it all along.
1: Yes, everybody has caught up to me. <laughs> <laughs> I think they have. Oh, all yeah, Jane! Well,
4: the great Carnac. No.
1: Yeah, I mean, I you know, I always thought we were great. You know, we were funny, we were cute, we dressed great, and we played okay. You know, our <laughs> songs were, you know, you know, punchy, catchy, you know, what's what's not to like. <laughs> it, was,
2: it was lightning in a bottle. There you go. This this
0: record also is going to be distributed in Europe by Bachelor Records out of Salzburg. So, we're yes, very thank excited you. about that. Yeah.
4: And and this album also it it's not like it's something that we had already had ready back in the seventies this is um, we were, like, searching for things to add on there. So we have, like, some practice songs on there. like Live from, stuff? Yeah, from, from our mom's basement. That were on cassette tape. Yeah, again, we, again. We have
0: to really give uh,
2: kudos to uh,
0: Justin Perkins, at Mystery Room Mastering. For, well, if you're uh,
2: not curious to hear this album now, I don't know what's wrong with you. So <laughs> we want to encourage you. The pre-order link is at rerunrecordsstl.com. You can also find that on our website, stlonair.show. We also want to mention there will likely be A Welders album release party January 9th at the Royale. Stay tuned for details on that. And I want to thank the three uh, three of the founding members of the Welders for joining me today in studio. Caroline Fujimoto, uh, Welders bassist, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks. Thank you for having us. And also Kelly Draper, better known as Rusty, Welders guitarist, uh, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for not making us cry. I tried. <laughs> and uh, Jane Fujimoto, uh, welders drummer and then keyboardist. Thank you so much.
1: I'm crying.
2: Thank you. I did make you cry. Thank you. <laughs> Let's go out of the show with just a little bit more from the welders. This is Baby Don't Go. This episode was produced by Emily Woodbury with audio engineering by Aaron Dore and production assistance from Jane Mather Glass. It was mixed and edited by Aaron. Our executive producer is Alex Hoyer. St. Louis on the Air is a production of St. Louis Public Radio. Back. Understanding starts here.